Hello there and welcome to another episode of An Irish Man Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. My chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie and it's easy to know why. The work they're doing across the pandemic for the young people of Ireland, equipping them with the mental health skills they'll need to get through this difficult time and survive in life beyond that is truly extraordinary. They're changing and saving lives every single week and that's why I created the Irishman Running Abroad Challenge with Sonia O'Sullivan. We had a big week this week with our Mother's Day and St. Patrick's Day events taking place. Lots of you signed up, lots of you took part and we raised thousands of euros for the charity because of it. Jigsaw.ie is the place to go if you want to see their work or examine their resources and maybe pass it on to someone in your life with a young person who might need help. Maybe you can kick in a couple of quid. Maybe you're not taking part in the challenge at all and you just go, yeah, that sounds cool. I'll kick in a couple of quid over there. It's idonate.ie. Just search the Irishman Running Abroad Challenge or head over to strava.com forward slash clubs forward slash Irishman Abroad. Become a member of the club and receive one-to-one coaching from an Irish legend, Sonia Sullivan, who co-hosts the Irishman Running Abroad with me every Tuesday in case you missed it. Couldn't run at all, lads, until Sonia came along and taught me how it was done. And if I can do it, you can do it too. I'm nearly halfway there to this challenge of running 2,000 kilometres in the space of 12 months. If I can do it, I'll be amazed. But Sonia really instilled the belief in me that it can be done. And for loads of our listeners, she's done the same thing. This week, we have an amazing guest. Uh, Paddy Keelty is maybe one of the most influential Irish stand-ups of all time. That for a generation of young Northern Irish and Republic comedians, these this man kind of set the bar and the tone for how we could uh, laugh and enjoy the humour in the darkness of the Troubles. He uh, was an extraordinary talent from a really young age. He got on stage while attending Queen's University and studying psychology. And alongside his friend and my friend, Jackie Hamilton, created the Empire Laughs Back, a comedy club that you may have heard of. And it's we talk about that a little bit later in the conversation. It's a truly extraordinary club. And at the time, it had queues around the block, as Paddy explains how that came about and how it generated this massive wave of media interest, not just across Ireland and the UK, but across the world. He went on, of course, to host PK Tonight, interviewing people like George Best, uh, Muhammad Ali, Mel Brooks, Billy Connolly, and going to Downing Street to interview Tony Blair and Bertie Ahern. Because, of course, he was, you know, intertwined in the Troubles and a part of the Troubles. In 2018, Paddy Kilty created a documentary called My Dad, The Peace Deal and me for BBC Two. If you haven't seen this programme, you really need to make a point of going and rooting it out on YouTube. It's easy enough to find, but the programme coincided with the 20th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. And I looked at the state of Northern Ireland two decades on from the agreement, and Paddy talked pretty frankly about the killing of his father and the effect that that had on him, as well as his decision to vote yes at the time of the agreement. He meets people like Arlene Foster in it and school students at integrated schools. It's just it's just something else. He also talks to uh, Richard Moore, former guest of this show, friend of mine who was blinded by a rubber bullet fired by a British soldier who, who, who he later went on 
to befriend. But there's so many strings to Paddy Keelty's bow, there's so much to talk about. This man has done it all, including conquered the world of stand-up. You'll be able to look up his uh, appearances on Live at the Apollo, his platinum-selling DVDs when DVDs were a thing. It's a... it's a, a wide and varied life that this man has lived. So a lot to get through. I really feel like for you to enjoy this chat fully, you have to hear the full hour and 15 minutes that we recorded. And there's only one place to do that. That's patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. This podcast is solely funded by you, the listeners. Those that can afford it, head over there and get access to hundreds and hundreds of episodes that we've recorded with people like Dylan Moore and Sharon Horgan, Chris O'Dowd, AP McCoy, Porrick Harrington, uh, Sonia Sullivan and lots, lots more. Please head over there this week and enjoy the 15% discount that I'm currently offering on an annual membership you'll be supporting this show and you'll be paying for for the people that can't afford to so that's that let's get to it it's the paddy keelty episode of an irish man abroad that's the small talk now let's get down to business now your program what's the big idea well they've grown to know the irish much better we've now got to know how largely their mind works I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Paddy Keelty, it's fantastic to finally have you on Irishman Abroad. I think I think when I first asked you to do it, you were still living in L.A. How much has your life changed since moving back? What happened, Jarlath, is I think the secret of comedy, as we both know, is timing. So what we decided to do, we had kids at school age, we had grandparents that weren't getting any younger, and we thought, we need to get back, get them into some decent schools, and see family and friends. Hmm. This is the this is the time that you're going to have to do it. If you don't do it, you're going to miss the window. So we landed back at the start of 2020, and for the last year, we've been teaching them ourselves, and we've seen no family or any friends. So, I mean, we've really, we've really nailed that one, I think. We've... Yeah, no, couldn't have, couldn't have worked yeah. out better. It couldn't have worked out better. So we've basically, you know, we, we've gone from potentially could have had lockdown in a house in Beverly Hills with a swimming pool, and uh, we decided to have it in a three-bedroom <laughs> flat in North London instead. I mean, it has been a it has been a mad week here for people listening who have kind of got the you know they watch the Oprah interview. They, you know, I know it's just not as important in other countries, but here in the UK, uh, Piers Morgan, you know, buzzing off because he just wasn't in tune with the idea that people understand now mental health. They understand that if somebody complains to you about their mental health, you owe it to them to take that seriously. And he didn't. I think that what you've just described there is a big part of that, that we all know that we're all clinging on by a very 
a very thin thread in the past year to our sanity in the house locked down. Would you go along with that? I think one of the things, if you look at what we call physical health and the spectrum of what physical health can be. So you can have high cholesterol, you can be on statins, you can need a valve replaced in your heart, or you can be on the way out because your heart's not working. So the spectrum of that. Hmm. And I think that what's happened in lockdown, and it's actually been very good, there used to be this idea of, oh, Jesus, your man's head shot. His head's away with it. Was, was a turn of phrase. So when it came to mental health, it was this binary thing mm. of you were absolutely grand or you were gone. And I think that the, what lockdown has, has really helped with is, you know, people have realized that when it comes to mental health, my cholesterol might be a bit high today. I maybe feel I'm about to take a banger tomorrow, but the next day... I'm able to function again. And so the spectrum of mental health, I think, is is much more appreciated. But, you know, in terms of peers and, and all of that stuff, I'm, I'm not convinced a man who is intelligent enough to, uh, to know how the media operates and how Ofcom operates didn't decide to push it until he was told to walk. I would imagine there might be a new job for him somewhere at a slightly right-wing media network that, uh, that could be part of the scheme of things. I, I, I don't know. Pierce uh, is many things, but he's not naive. <laughs> True, true. And I guess uh, you've had up close and personal contact with that world of things and how cunning it is from from a time when it was the Wild West, like you came into it at a time when, you know, the phone hacking stuff was happening at that time. And, you know, you must remember when suddenly Paddy Keelty from Down is now tabloid uh, open season. Do you remember that for the first time? Yeah, I mean, uh, I do remember that. I mean, I um, and, and weirdly, uh, I think that, you know, in terms of tabloid open season and all of those things, if you're working in, in entertainment, you know, this idea of I'm going to give you this part of me, but I'm not going to give you this part of me. And the minute you, you know, so, so, it, you know, I um you know, uh, gossip and nonsense and all of these things is fine. I mean, I think, you know, there was a, there was a couple of times that uh, I, I remember having to, you know, take legal action against a couple of newspapers simply because it, it just wasn't true. I, rem- I, remember, I remember when I was living in Dublin and my girlfriend at the time was Amanda Byram and I, I, I apparently there was a new bar in Blanchardstown that had just opened and uh, the two of us had been turned away at the door. And I'd use the infamous line, which is never a great idea, Ajara. Do you know who I am? Now, I would suggest anybody coming up in the world, or or even if they think they've made it, to use that line is never a great idea, because there's only two answers to that, which is no, uh, which can be potentially embarrassing. And the other one is yes, and we don't give a fuck. So it's... So, so there's never really a good outcome of that. Now, 
uh, that bar was open and uh, they basically wanted to show that, uh, you know, this was very exclusive. So therefore, these are the type of people that were turning away. Um, wasn't in Dublin uh, and uh, was able to prove that I was in London. So, so I mean, I, I think the, there's, there's the jigs and the reels of it all, which I think, you know, you have to go with. And then, you know, when, when there's other stuff, which is, uh, I mean, that's a lie, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it's interesting how it's all changed, though, because... I think we're living in a world now. I, I, I remember people don't write in toilets anymore. Sorry. You ever notice that? Do you ever <laughs> when you go into a cubicle? It's true. And uh, it used to it be. It used to be wallpapered, right? yeah. It used to be wallpapered with stuff. And you could essentially tell the mental capacity of the writer by, you know, spelling, font, uh, you know, whether they'd written whether they'd written it in, you know, biro pen or their own shit or whatever it was. And so so now what you have is everybody in the world has got the same typeface. Mm. And the moment that everybody's got the same typeface, we end up putting way more emphasis when you've got the same typeface and everybody's got spell check then you can sometimes put way more emphasis on what is behind what someone has written and how they've managed to get to that point Mm -hmm. and i think that folding that back in the mental health i think a lot of people see stuff written in the same type font as someone who's articulate and smart and they think that that clearly has to have the same value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see how people can get swallowed up into that where they think, oh, my God, the world thinks this. Yeah. And when, in you, fact, that tweet probably would have been smeared in shit were uh, Twitter not to exist. Yeah. You, you know, that, that that one probably wouldn't have even made it on the back door of the toilet because <laughs> somebody would have wiped it off with the toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is. It's such a change, right? It's like you've seen the evolution of this firsthand door to door, like out the other side and then in through another looking glass with it. Do you know who I am? It's obviously an only the only time a good time to say that is when somebody's coming out of a coma. But you (laughs) 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 but you uh you must have had a couple of moments and anytime I have footballers on the show, I love asking them about, you know, the impulse purchase or the the thing where they went. Like Peter Crouch talks about buying a flash car and pulling up the lights and looking across and seeing Roy Keane and Roy Keane looking at him going, what are you doing with your life? Uh, you must have had a, a moment like that, Paddy, because it all came to you. Uh, in that kind of Sky TV is coming into football kind of way. It, it was it was it was big. It was bold. It was you were the toast of the town at that time. The temptation, at least, must have been eat the food while it's hot on the table. Don't worry about the future. I mean, I, I, I think I, I think I can safely say I, I haven't lived my life in reverse. I mean, I, I think there's, I think there's a lot of people that there's a lot of middle-aged people that actually go, oh my God, what are, where where did the fun go? So, you know, I think you're having success in your twenties and and you know the the mistakes that you make and the fun that you have and all of those things, you know, is is one thing. I I suppose I was lucky in in that everybody has a platform now. 
But back then, you know, platforms were limited. So if you actually, you know, were given one, you almost were able to escape and get halfway up the road before anybody else got over the ditch. And so so I, I, I think there was, you know, an element of that to it. I think one of the things that I, that I find very difficult about that wasn't so much how to look after your money or the, the trappings of success. You know, whenever I, you know, got a bit of success and, you know, I, I bought a house, I think that's that's a, a key thing. If um, you know, if the first thing that you buy, you know, has got wheels on it, and you continue to buy stuff with wheels, and nobody tells you houses might go up in value and cars don't, so uh, so I was sensitive enough that way. I, I very much struggled with with coming over to England and trying to get a handle on what that mentality was and how it was different to where I was growing up. And, you know, I think there was, you know, for a while, you know, I was using sledgehammers to crack nuts and... Meaning on stage. Yeah, yeah. And I think think in terms of performance and, and all of those things, you know, the subtlety that I, I suppose you develop over the years. So, so that for me was was more of a struggle than actually the trappings. Mm-hmm. Tell me about. It. I'm still I'm still trying to figure out the the change. I'm only here eight years, and it, it is a mentality shift, and it is a whole other planet sometimes. And I, you know, I didn't grow up in, Nor- in Northern Ireland, but I I feel like oh, there was a similarity in our upbringings in that. The troubles was happening elsewhere. It, it wasn't in the Curra of Kildare. You grew up in a very you know, uh, rural, uh, rolling fields. I mean, the documentary, the BAFTA nominated documentary you made really captured exactly how beautiful Northern Ireland is, but also just how removed from what the news looked like at the time. Like if you'd shown those images to somebody in America, they wouldn't have believed it was the same place. Did comedy penetrate, though, at that time? Because for so many of the comics that I know from Northern Ireland now, they cite you as maybe their primary influence, that your ability to talk about it and to joke about paramilitaries informed you know, their comedy character moving forward to say you can joke about these things. My question is, did humour penetrate your home? Did you have comics that you looked up to at that time or was that just not something that existed? Oh, my God. I mean, I mean, for for us, like my my old man, my dad was a show band promoter. And, you know, the Procule Hall in Dundrum uh, he booked that for a while, and then there was another hall that he booked, uh, the Irish National Foresters Hall in, in Hilltown, and they had everybody in it from Roy Orbison to Engelbert Humperdinck. No. Yeah, to, so so you know to the Irish show bands, uh, and I was seven. I'd have been seven years old, and uh, Dundrum. Uh, I'll show you how small Dundrum was. Our phone number was Dundrum two seven two. <laughs> and uh, I remember years later, Louis Walsh. Louis Walsh at the time managed a band called Daddy Cool and the Lollipops. And uh, 
So this would have been the era of, you know, the Albert Reynolds, uh, you know, with Daniel Albert Reynolds and, and Marquis and, and, and all this type of stuff. And Louis Walsh said to me, met me years later, and he said, I always, Dundrum 272, that was your father's phone number. That is the amount of times I rang that number looking for a gig. <laughs> and I said, yeah, Louis, I said, the amount of times I was told to answer the phone, and if it was Louis Walsh, I'm not in. <laughs> and... And so whenever you had that kind of, you know, little sprinkle of Irish, is it show business or what? Well, I'm not sure what, what it is. It was the most natural thing in the world to, you know, sit down with, you know, your mom and dad and watch Dave Allen or your dad to have Billy Connolly cassettes. And, you know, that the, the, the always would have been humor like that. As, as the as the backdrop of the house. I remember one of those really liberating moments whenever you were sort of 12 or 13 and you were able to sit in your dad's car and listen to Billy Connolly swearing <laughs> and the two of you laughing and you weren't, it wasn't turned off. Mm. I think what was going on around us at the time, and, and it would have been obviously much more in Belfast and Derry and, and, and places like that, the humor in that, no one really wanted to get into that. I think if you look at, you know, comedy exports from there, you know, you had Roy Walker, you had Frank Carson, you had comedians who had incredible timing and moved on to do other things, but nobody wanted to talk about what was actually happening at the time. Um, what do you put that down to? It, was, that, was that actual fear? I don't know. I, I I think I think what you had was you had there was a binary prism that basically framed everything in Northern Ireland. And so you would never have had, you know, a, a Protestant or a unionist comedian making jokes about it because that would kind of make you believe that Northern Ireland wasn't functioning. Mm. So so that would be undermining the cause. I think then that on the other side, you essentially had a campaign of murder that it sort of would have been framed, you know, the armed struggle. Like it sort of sounds more like when Mr. Darcy you, you know, it doesn't want someone to leave in pride and prejudice. You, you know, it's the, the armed struggle. Let's make, let's make something terrible sound more romantic than it actually is. So, so what you had was you had two sides and neither of them wanted to sort of look at the ludicrousness of the positions around it, I think. So it wasn't necessarily fear. I, I, I think it was sort of justification of existence, maybe. Mm. So when, you know, when you see, when you get up there, I mean, I don't want to jump, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but our, mm. our mutual friend, Jackie Hamilton from yeah. the Empire and people will know from his work with the BBC is instrumental in, you know, this kind of going from like my favorite part of every superhero story is the origin story but going from not being a comic to being a comic Jackie's in the middle of that can you maybe tell us a little bit about 
you know, what happens there when the light goes on? What is it? What's the moment or period when you realize actually there this isn't just the case that I can do good impressions, make lads laugh at the back of the bus, but I can actually do this in such a way that I have cash in my pocket. Uh, I mean, that was, you know, what's in Jackie's hugely instrumental in, in that. I think there's, you know, someone else that, that, uh, you know, was for me was there, which was David Hull and David Hull kind of discovered me in, in a way in a, a talent competition in, in another Irish National Foresters Hall in the Guinness Entertainer of the Year, I believe it was called. And uh, so in tandem to what what was going on with the Empire, which, you know, I'll, I'll move on to, I was also playing, David had basically sort of clubs and pubs and live venues all across Northern Ireland um, that he was booking. And so... I was going all around the place just doing gigs. And at that time then, country lad, you come up to Belfast, you think it's the big smoke. There's a talent competition at the Queens and the Union. I did the talent competition and won some beer. And suddenly, you know, girls that were passing you by were sort of going, oh, that's your man that was on the... so." So that, that sort of slow motion, oh, this, oh, this works. And Jackie then came in. Uh, he was pr- producing at the BBC. Jackie, the thing that you need to know about Jackie and, and always frame everything that Jackie was doing at that time was Jackie was the lead singer of a band. Mm-hmm. He had been the lead singer of a band. And the light bulb moment for Jackie was... When somebody said comedy is the new rock and roll and Jackie knew he was never going to be the new rock and roll as a musician because his, you know, the band, the Moondogs, even in all the success that they'd had, they'd all moved on and they had, you know, the band had, had, uh, had split. And so that energy that Jackie had, which was, whoa, this could be something. Mm-hmm. Are you interested? And I remember going around Belfast, and you know, the week before the Empire, we found the Empire Bar, and and uh, he had the bucket and paste, and I had the posters, and we were, you know, putting up these posters. So when you think about it, at the time, you know, sort of pre-ceasefire Northern Ireland, running around throwing up posters at the bottom of Donegal Pass, and uh, you know, Sandy Row, and and different places, and so. The, the very first night, they, there was 400 people queued around the corner. And yeah, there was 400 people queued, queued around the corner of the Empire uh, because you couldn't buy tickets in advance. It was like, you know, first come, first serve. And Owen O'Neill, brilliant, legendary comedian for all Irish comics, really. Owen was headlining that night. And I'd got my bit because, you know, you had 15, 20 minutes. And if I was doing clubs for David Hull, you had 15, 20 minutes. And you went on after the band and before the disco and you did your bit. And Owen said to me, uh, he said, you need to compare this place. And I went, what? 
says, no, no, if you're gonna if you're gonna get any better, you're you're really good, but you you need to compare this every week, and and I I said, oh, I I can't do that. I mean, I I I've got fifteen minutes, and they said, well, you know, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to sort it out now. At that time, the mothership of comedy compares in Ireland was Barry Murphy, and. And the idea of looking up to Barry and Barry used to just come out and just play with the audience and with a little bit of whimsy and then, you know, and sing about and a big inflatable shamrock called Belinda. Um, <laughs> do you remember that song? Um, <laughs> no, 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 I really don't. I know. So there you have it, a snippet of my conversation with Paddy Keelty. I'd love you to come on over and hear the rest of it on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. A little reminder again, my brand new stand-up special is streaming on the RTE player worldwide now for free for the first time. Everywhere you can get the, the RTE app, you can download it and watch my stand-up special Notions 11 recorded in Vicker Street on March 6th just before the world lockdown. I think you'll enjoy it. Big shout out to everybody who got in touch this week who watched it and enjoyed it and had a bit of a laugh and hopefully got a bit of an escape for an hour from all of the misery. Uh, the Return to the Crack is back next Friday with Deborah Francis-White, Justin Moorhouse and Tom Stade. What a lineup! All the profits from that show go to frontline charities and frontline workers get in free. Returnofthecrack.com is the place to go to register and make sure that you have a ticket. Of course, if you're a member of Irishman Abroad on Patreon.com, get in for free. Now, there's another reason for, for you to join up. Free tickets, free comedy tickets to free online shows every single month. My thanks to John Marr uh, for his amazing research on this show. He did a, an absolutely sterling job on this episode. Carl Cotter also did some extra research, but John Marr did uh, the lines shared this week. And a big shout to his dad, who's uh, currently recuperating. Want to give him a big shout out. Also, Brian Connolly on production. But like I said, there's another 45 minutes of this chat that I know you're going to love over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Thanks, lads. Take care of yourselves and I will see you on Tuesday for more Irishman Running Abroad with Sonia O'Sullivan and a full review of our Mother's Day and St. Patrick's Day events.